It's a crazy time. We're in an economy that it's like, are we in a recession? Is it a looming recession? What's happening? Inflation is, you know, the highest we've seen in over 40 years. So it's it's sort of a cause to just pay attention to what's happening and make sure that we've got a good pulse on donors' intent to give. And I think it's easy to want to get to a negative place and think, oh my gosh, our philanthropic dollar is going to decline. What's going to happen? How am I going to continue to grow my own donor base and retain donors and build their investment in my mission? But I think what was so awesome to see in the Why America Gives report is this resounding message of positivity. Welcome to the Responsive Nonprofit Podcast, brought to you by Virtuous. Responsive nonprofits are the organizations leading with innovation to grow giving and impact. Join us each week in spirited conversation with the leading voices across philanthropy, fundraising, and nonprofit technology. Subscribe on your favorite stations or visit us at virtuous.org backslash podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Responsive Nonprofit Podcast. Joining Rob and I today is Michelle Boggs to talk about Classy's 2022 Why America Gives Report and what it means for you and all the nonprofits that are looking to grow giving and generosity in 2023. Today, we're going to cover three main themes, and we'll meander through them a little bit from the report itself and really First and foremost, what abundance is out there for nonprofits as we look ahead into the new year? And how do we overcome, secondly, what we always historically have struggled with? And then lastly, with those two things in mind, how do we close the gap on the giving expectations and experiences across all of the donors and people that are engaging with our causes and with our mission? So really excited to dive in with Rob and Michelle. Michelle, welcome. Hi, Brian. Hi, Rob. Thanks so much for having me. How are you guys doing? Absolutely. Welcome. This is exciting. It's a whole new year, and um, I'm pumped to have you here. It's been good getting to know you off air a little bit and just all the cool stuff you're doing with Classy and, and this report. I think this is really exciting um, and can't wait to dig in with you. So just thank you for your time today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. And it's been great, you know, getting to know more about the partnership and relationship with Classy and Virtuous. And I know from our our pre-call conversation, excited to dig in with you both a little bit more to explore ways we'll continue to work together in the future. So really happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. I think before we even dive into the conversation, I think it would be really great for the listeners to hear more about just who you are, you know, what's your what's your path, what's your story been as you've made your way through the philanthropic sector to where you are today at Classy? Sure. So I think like a lot of nonprofit leaders and, and individuals, I fell into the sector completely by accident, my first job out of college, and am rounding out almost 20 years. And it's been incredible. I've worked at all different size nonprofits, different missions, and I had many different roles. But what I tell a lot of people is it's such a unique job and a unique industry because you get to work with some of the most intelligent, passionate, generous, interesting, creative people on doing something really unique. You're helping them live out a legacy, a dream, a vision to change the world. So you get to interact with them in such a unique way. You know, you're not their employee. You're not a board member. You're not a shareholder in their company. You just get to work with them in this really 
fulfilling, amazing way. So it's been a, it's been a wonderful career and one that I I really treasure and would encourage anyone who's considering to to get out there and and work at a nonprofit. It's it's so rewarding in so many ways. Michelle, what, what was the first one like right out of college? What what was your first step into this whole world? Yeah. So my mom had suffered a STEMI heart attack at 45, was super oh, wow. young. She survived, but you know, it was a whole just changed the whole landscape of my family. And so she and I started as volunteers with the American Heart Association. And then I ended up working there after college. And I think like a lot of people, my my first job was conducting a program that's still in existence. It's over, I think, 47 years old called Jump Rope for Heart. That was my first job. And I thought I would go to all the schools and everyone would want to do this event. Why not? It's so great. And I learned really quickly that no, it was like a sales job in the sense that I had to go into 300 schools across six counties and convince them to support the American Heart Association, even though they were constantly being bombarded with other charitable causes. And, the, and then, of course, actual fundraisers that supported their own school. So it was just a great first job because I learned resilience, you know, overcoming no's and objections. I learned so much time management. I mean, when you're juggling hundreds of accounts. So I learned how to be super organized and it was a great job, but that was the first one. That's so fun. Sounds like somebody else I know on this call. <laughs> yeah. Did you get, so, did you mean, get in the van like Brian did and drive all over the country? Yeah. <laughs> and that was before like you could put an address into your phone. Like I used to have to print out all my stuff. Oh man. <laughs> and so I still get teased that I totally know like Florida way too well. Like I know the whole, the whole, all the roads and everything. And it was because of that job. So <laughs> that's get your a, map, that's maps amazing. go out. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. I, I really relate. I actually probably maybe three or four years into my start as a fundraiser. I actually, I had a total like mindset shift around how I thought about working at a nonprofit and the deeper I got into development, especially in my humanitarian and international affairs work, was I showed up for the cause initially, but what actually kept me around was I, I stayed long-term and I had longevity because of the donors. And I think the, the privilege that I felt personally as a fundraiser was I started to see that my role was actually to help create not only deeper connection with donors to our cause and mission, but it was actually... I was able to be a facilitator to help a donor actually have more connection with themselves. Mm -hmm. I started to see that the work that I got to do was helping a donor fulfill in their own legacy and vision for their life, their impact, their loved ones, their community, right? Like the things that they were passionate and cared about that touched them personally. And, you know, to your point about like the magic of the nonprofit sector, you know, I know that we're, we look at, the environment and where things are today and things like, especially with the state of the economy as, as 2023 begins, things feel really challenging. But one of the really hopeful takeaways from the Why America Gives report is that there's actually a lot to be hopeful about. And so like what in the current state of giving from your perspective, Michelle, you know, like what can we be hopeful about as we look ahead and right, like as we've laid our fundraising strategies for the year ahead and we start, we're looking at re-engaging and starting anew, where's the message of hope? Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. It's a crazy time. We're in an economy that it's like, are we in a recession? Is it a looming recession? What's happening? Inflation is, you know, the highest we've seen in over 40 years. So it's, 
it's sort of a cause to just pay attention to what's happening and make sure that we've got a good pulse on donors intent to give. And I think it's easy to want to get to a negative place and think, oh my gosh, our philanthropic dollar is going to decline. What's going to happen? How am I going to continue to grow my own donor base and retain donors and build their investment in my mission? But I think what was so awesome to see in the Why America Gives report is this resounding message of positivity. So what we found is that Although almost half of Americans have a pessimistic view of the economy, 77% have made financial changes to their lifestyles, and 90% still plan to donate the same or more as they did last year. So that is, if I've ever heard, a huge message of positivity. And I think that makes sense. I mean, if you think about last year and all the crazy things that happened, you know, we continued to, to battle through COVID, Ukraine some of the huge natural disasters, some of the big political things that happened, the activism around the midterm elections. If you think about all those things, it makes sense because I think Americans are more engaged and activated than ever to want to help. You know, more than ever now, we've seen these things happening and people want a path to help. And so I think that message of positivity really came through in the survey. And I want listeners to hear that today is there's so much to be excited about and the abundance of generosity is out there. It's just how do we equip the tools and use the data to set your teams up for success because it's out there. It's just, we've got to go out and get it. That's super uplifting. (laughs) That's not what I, (laughs) I don't think I would have expected that uh, just from my vantage point and from what I'm hearing in the media or what I'm seeing just as I talk to friends who are running nonprofit, there's a lot of fear, right? And so I think that's incredibly inspiring and helpful that, you know, we've got real stats and data that's showing the complete opposite of what my fear is telling me as a leader of a nonprofit and that there's actually a ton of hope. And that's super encouraging. Yeah. I would also, along those lines, what I thought was even more interesting is you re- when you really dug into those numbers is the older generation of the survey respondents, so your boomers, those that traditionally have more wealth mm-hmm. and capacity to give or have their gift amount not change, we actually saw that they're more likely to keep their gift amount the same and the younger mm-hmm. generations have plans to increase giving and change lifestyles deal with their financials in a different way that frees them up to give more Hmm. this year. So I thought that was even more interesting and kind of, you know, I think goes against some of the mental models and assumptions that like all your money is going to come from the older generational, you know, where there's more wealth. So I thought that was interesting as well. Wanted to share that. Mm. Yeah. Something that we also talk about a lot here at Virtuous is the fact that majority of giving still comes from your top 10% of givers from a financial standpoint. But in terms of, if you look at the percentage, and this comes from the Giving USA report on philanthropy from last year, a little more than 60% of all donors are actually your mid to low level donor. And so something that we're often talking about is how do we actually, in terms of like unleashing and unlocking levels of abundant generosity, like what is the path forward for nonprofits? And we often are talking about how do we actually create those personalized major donor experiences for all of our donors at the low to mid to mid level, right? Because we often want to talk about like size of gift does not necessarily articulate a correlation to 
the size of, of your passion, the size of like the impact that a cause has had on your life. I'm curious to hear a little bit more from you to talk about like, how do you encourage nonprofits to think differently about the way that donors engage and show up with their organizations? Like, are there any mindset shifts that you would encourage folks to consider as they look at trying to create engagement, either like across gener- like generations or even like across levels of giving? Yes, so many. I actually, I just attended a, a conference in Philly called the Nonprofit Power Conference, and there was such a robust, interesting conversation around this. But I think, you know, nonprofits like any business, we have to adjust, like I said before, those mental models, ways that we think about how we engage with a customer or a donor. And some of the big ones that that come forth is like not assuming how a donor wants to be thanked, not assuming how a donor wants to be communicated with. So a really good example of that, and, and we can dig in later on, is when you think about one of the key insights from the Why America Gives report was around meeting your baby boomer donors in a different way than perhaps your your Gen Zs or your millennials. One of the key things that stuck out to me, and I was guilty of this in my nonprofit days, is your baby boomers want to hear from you less frequently with longer, more thoughtful, robust communication. So an example might be, I'm going to send Rob a quarterly mini annual report of the impact and what has happened in the last three months at my nonprofit in a way that has pictures and text and, you know, stuff that Rob might be more interested in sitting down and spending 15 minutes reading. Yeah. But a millennial donor to my organization wants to hear from me several times a month, which to me was shocking because Mm. I immediately would think, oh my gosh, I would never email a donor three or four times a month. But the data Mm. is telling us these younger donors want to hear from me more frequently with, of course, shorter, you know, (laughs) Twitter type, you know, but like, I didn't do that. I, I didn't segment like that. I didn't think like that. It was more, you know, working with marketing and donor engagement and stewardship. This is the message we're sending for January. We just came off of giving Tuesday end of year giving, guess what? Everyone's getting the same thank you message in January. Well, that's a simple tweak that I can make that could have a huge impact around how that message is received. So I think communication is a big one, Brian. And then so much around events. I mean, we know that the data is telling us that events are coming back in a huge way this year, which is really exciting. But again, how do I start to think about those events differently and in, in reaching those different ages or different donor expectations? So if I do a golf tournament, is there a way to get younger donors involved at, you know, maybe a, a more cost-effective entry amount instead of a really expensive foursome? If I'm having a gala, how do I do a wraparound event that encourages younger donors to be a part of that? So I think, again, it's just sort of, releasing some of those old mental models, making decisions for your donors, assuming things, and really looking at the data and harnessing the data that you have to meet them where they are and continue to sort of meet those expectations. Mm. And then one last thing, which is totally classy, is you have to make giving super easy. The whole experience has to be personalized. Think like ordering your favorite drink on Starbucks. The giving experience has to mirror that. I hear all the time, and this happened to me as well, if I 
go to a nonprofit's website, or maybe I saw something on Facebook and I click on the link and I'm ready to give. If I have to get up and go find my wallet to get a credit card, I'm not giving, you know, the conversion rate is going to drop significantly. So thinking about, do you have those different payment options? Can I link it to my Venmo? Can I do PayPal? Can I set up an HCH? How can I just make giving super easy and personalized? So that's a third one that just I think about all the time. And and what really I think makes Classy such a a needed organization right now. And so did that was that kind of findings like the the second tier of findings from the study? I mean, the, the harnessing data. I know we talked about that offline about what the industry continues to struggle with. I mean, I guess that's pretty much the summation of of what the survey is saying and what you're seeing, or are there more, is there more to that different, you know, harnessing more data and retention and things of that nature, or is that tip that's, that's primarily it, like the best journey experience, personalizing and the way that you communicate with the different generations and whatnot that you just described. Is there anything more there? Yeah. I think the other thing that came across loud and clear in the survey was, and this speaks to the message of like this abundance and this generosity that's right there. It's just, how do we go out and grab it? Is this concept of like your loyal donor base and the this idea of a passive donor. So a loyal donor, we defined as someone who's given to your organization a minimum of three times over the last year. And a passive donor is maybe someone who gave on a whim, a friend invited them to a peer-to-peer fundraiser. They came and they gave to participate in the walk, or maybe they gave because it was a more timely event like a natural disaster. And I was drawn to this organization and I gave $15. And then, you know, I may or may not have any interest in continuing with that organization. So a lot of the, the data showed us that if you can capture those passive donors who have given because of a recent interest in your organization, a recent timely event, how do you then build out a strategy and a path to keep them in, engaged? So it sounds silly, but mm. first, it's like, how did you thank them? Um, what I always blows my mind is the success around Give Tuesday and end of year giving, and there's no plan beyond that initial thank you. There's no plan to engage those donors. There's no mm. plan to retain those donors. So those passive donors... First and foremost is, you know, how do you then tie back the impact of that gift? And then how do you set out a year-long engagement plan to keep them interested in your mission and your organization? So that that really came across too, is all those passive donors just sitting out there who came and found you and had the the desire to give. And but then what do we do with them after that? And that's where there's so mm-hmm. much opportunity. Does that make sense? Yeah, completely. Yeah, I think that <laughs> I think we we I see that in a lot of different industries and work. I mean, we even see that Brian in what we do. It's like mm-hmm. you work really hard to generate a piece of content and push it out, and then you think the you, you know check the box, the game's over. We did what we're supposed to, but then really, that's when the game begins. It's it's the it's the the last you know forty percent of of following up with folks and get devising a plan of how how are we going to follow up? How are we going to thank them? How are we going to continue our conversations with them? How are we going to build loyalty and trust and relationship with them? Like that's there's a, so much to that. And for me, when I was leading nonprofits, when I say that, if if you're listening here, oftentimes I'm like, oh gosh, this is incredibly overwhelming. Like, how do I do all of that? There's so much that needs to happen. And 
we have such a small team. How do I, how can I go do this? And that's now that I'm on the other side and have seen organizations like Classy and like Virtuous, there are tools that are built to help you automate all of this to make your life way mm-hmm. easier that I didn't know existed at the time when I was leading nonprofits. So hopefully that is a uh, another glimmer of hope that <laughs> you're not alone, right? There are ways to help you do this. And that's that's the job of many people on this call and folks that we run with. Yeah, absolutely. And and just just again quickly on the on the passive donors, what the report told us is the top two motivations for giving if you're a passive donor is what I alluded to, that easy and convenient donation experience. To dig a little deeper is um being creative in the donation amounts that you allow these passive donors to give, especially if they tend to be on the young swing on the younger side. So I go to your website, is the first donation $25? That may dissuade a ton of donors who aren't ready to give yet at that amount or can't give at that amount, but could maybe have given 10 or five or have designated their own amount. So do you have that creativity in giving that's going to get that first gift? And now you've got a plan to engage me. So I think convenient giving amounts that I can choose or personalize depending on my own financial situation. I alluded to the continuous updates. So these passive donors want to hear from you at least monthly. And I don't know that a lot of organizations do that. And then I think these time, this idea of these timely events and these things happening in the news is if there's something happening that everyone is paying attention to, really push yourself and your nonprofit to think, how does my work tie into that? So as an example that I heard at our at our collaborative conference that that Classy puts on is there was an organization that during the whole shortage of the baby formula they were mm-hmm. able to tie that into storytelling and important you know pieces about their mission and they happened to be an organization that just worked with underserved women and infants so it wasn't like a direct correlation but they were able to take this timely event happening in the news and in society that people were paying attention to and cared about and they were able to tie that into well this is why the work that we do is so important mm-hmm. so i think again as these things are happening think you know and it has to be authentic and genuine obviously but like think how does that play into what I'm trying to do and what my organization is trying to do. And that will also get the attention of some of these passive donors and potentially turn them into loyal donors. Yeah. A few things, like I have a couple of things that are, that are coming to mind. You know, one was we, we had a conversation with the Trevor project and they actually had an ask of their donors. So they were actually a couple of years ago when the black lives matter protests were happening around the country, they were actually supposed, they, I think they started on a Sunday the Trevor Project was supposed to launch their biggest fundraising campaign of the year the following day on Monday. And, you know, most nonprofits wouldn't take this approach, but they took, I think, an approach with an abundant mindset that was holistic, that I think showcases incredible amounts of generosity. Instead of putting their ask in competition with what was the greatest moment of need in market, they actually specifically paused the campaign and asked all of their donors to support another cause. And Mm -hmm. I think like, wow, like think about the amount of like loyalty and trust that that builds with your donors when you're taking that much consideration into what's happening in the world around us. I think we also saw this um, at Virtuous on the personal level. I heard incredible stories where at the start of the pandemic a couple of years ago, I think the organizations that did things right at the very get-go were were getting on the phone and literally just checking in on a human-to-human personal level with donors. And I heard a range of stories that included 
folks getting on the phone and hearing that, you know, a recurring donor had just lost their job. And the act of generosity that one director of development in particular shared with me was they actually said, you've been a partner with us for the last three years, continually monthly. It's our turn to give back to you. I'm going to pause and cancel your recurring donation. I'd love to check in in eight to 12 months to hear how you're doing and when we can continue our partnership. And it's like, wow, like, (laughs) like that is like meeting someone where they are on their journey, not just with you, but in their life. And I, and here at Virtuous, we have the standpoint that that is what unlocking generosity and being responsive with our donors really looks like in real time. Mm. Yeah, those are both wow, two incredible stories. Trevor Project is is a customer of Classies. We love them. We love their work. And then that second story, I mean, look, the data is telling us that that donor is going to plan financially to continue to support that organization and now probably in a bigger, more meaningful way because of that level of empathy and that personal touch. Yeah, that's great. I love that. This episode is brought to you by Virtuous. Are you stuck using outdated, slow, and redundant technology to power your nonprofit? It's time to make the switch. Virtuous gives your organization the fundraising, volunteer, and marketing tools you need to create a more responsive donor experience and grow giving. Want to learn more? Get a personalized demo today at virtuous.org demo. That's virtuous.org demo. I'm curious. I want to play here a little longer. I'd love to know, like, as you think about the passive donor, okay, there's like, there's a moment in need and you have had, you know, a rush of donations come in. Uh, You've had a, you had an increase in first time donors because of something that's happening in correlation, either directly with your nonprofit or your cause in general. What does the journey look like for a new donor that's just been introduced to you in order to deepen that loyalty over time? Like what, what could a potential donor journey look like for today's modern nonprofit? Yeah, that's a great question. And I I know something, you know, if you're leading a nonprofit, you should be asking and thinking about and challenging your team about all the time. I think it's first and foremost, like using whatever automation, analytics, anything you can, personal one-on-one conversations, what a concept, right? But just getting to understand and know that donor at the deepest, most intimate level that you can, you know, what first drew them to give that gift? So how did they get connected to the organization? How well do they understand the mission? How can we keep you informed? How do you like to give of your time? You know, just getting to know their likes and dislikes is super important. And then I think it sounds funny and and maybe goes without saying, but really being intentional and strategic. And like I alluded to before is building out that path of what that year is going to look like. So from all this data and all the information we've been able to gather from this donor profile or this persona or whatever it is, whatever you're using, we know that this person likes 
other non-traditional ways of giving back to organizations. So maybe we see that they've given to individuals on the GoFundMe platform. Maybe we see that they love to give up their time. They love to galvanize others. So they're going to be much more likely to advocate on behalf of my organization. They're going to get their friends involved. Maybe they like challenges. They want to hear from me on social media. They want more personal visits. So I think the deeper you can just understand what donors are expecting, what they like, what they don't like, is just going to make the relationship that much deeper, that much more meaningful. I would just say, use whatever technology you can, but also just spend that personal time with someone, pick up the phone and call them. That's going to go you know, such a long way. But those are some of the things I would be doing and thinking about. Thank you for that. That's great. That's good. Those are good illustrations of ways we can do that. I want Brian, I want to jump to like the last priority topic that we found from the report about generational divide and how that changes expectations. And um you were mentioning something earlier, Michelle, about that. I know in the, you know, in our earlier part of the podcast here, referencing a little bit of it, but what what are more of the findings about generations that that came out in the report and what can we glean from that as we go and you know continue to put forward our you know fundraising efforts here in 2023? Yeah, I think, you know, that third big key insight out of the Why America Gives report around this, this idea of the generational divide and continuing change in expectation. We know that nonprofits are going to have to continue to develop a deeper understanding and meaningful touch points, depending on where their donors kind of fit in these, in these two, these two different generations. So we kind of broke out traditional donors, your baby boomers and then sort of your next-gen millennial donors. And we see that, I alluded to this earlier, but traditional donors seem to be sort of reaching their giving ceiling. So they're giving higher dollar amounts. And I know we talked about this earlier, Brian. They're giving higher dollar amounts than next-gen donors, but they are likely to donate the same amount as they did last year. So it's not increasing. It's going to stay consistent. And next-gen donors are giving smaller dollar amounts, but they're much more likely to increase their donations this year. We found that two times more next-gen donors made significant changes to their lifestyle given the state of the economy to make sure that they could still carve out what they wanted to do as far as their charitable giving. We found that traditional donors are more likely to be pessimistic about the economy and are more likely to cancel recurring donations in the face of stress compared to next-gen donors who are willing to keep those recurring donations and maybe cut back in other ways. So that was super interesting. What else? We found that three times more next-gen donors will advocate on behalf of an organization. So when you think about a walk or a race or some of that peer-to-peer stuff, are you creating entry for those younger donors? Or are you, because of maybe a certain fee or dollar amount or gift, or are you kind of closing the door and not even realizing you're doing it? And they may be your best advocates and your best folks to bring more groups along with them. The next-gen donors are younger folks are three times more likely to host an individual fundraising page on behalf Hmm. of your organization. So what are you doing in that space? Um, And then, of course, this probably isn't super shocking, but Next-gen donors are more likely to learn about your mission or your organization or your cause through celebrities and social media influencers. 
Another important one is that your traditional donors, if they find out about your organization or they're asked to give, they're going to more than 60% are going to go to your website to research you and validate you. So again, when they go to your website, what do they find? Actually, they're also very interested in your financials and opportunities to volunteer. So I can tell you from experience, you know, are the financials hidden and is it like an Easter egg hunt to find them or are they right there and they're super transparency and that generation of donor can look up your 990s or whatever they're interested in and say, okay, I feel good about this. I'm proceeding with my donation. Is it clear about how I can roll up my sleeves and volunteer or is it not? So some of those things were very interesting. As you're going through some of the numbers and the findings and the results, and happy to build on this, but I think a few key things come to mind for me. And one is something that we've already surfaced in this conversation is we have to be listening better to our donors. And we, you know, like you mentioned surveying and in one-on-one conversations, but I also want to surface like knowing that your website and your digital presence and your social media channels are going to be a, it is your arena of presence to build deeper trust and loyalty. Um, Nonprofits have access to tools that help us see how our donors behaving and engaging with us on those channels. Where do donors spend time on our website, right? And this is also a way in which we can listen to our donors. Um, we can we can look at email open rates and what stories of impact get the most engagement from our donors and how that correlates to where are people uh, researching on our website, right? Like what are the what are the what are the search terms that correlate with our mission that people are most interested in, right? These are all insights and nudges that can help us create that more personal experience. And I think that's the second key takeaway that we've also hit on today that these numbers kind of drive home for me is that everyone isn't like the 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 day and age of treating donors like, like ATM cash machines, I mean, <laughs> that died 20, 30 years ago, right? And as we look at the experiences that people are having and, right, like knowing that learning about a nonprofit is going to come from influencers and other people in the world in which someone trusts, is inspired by, maybe even like identifies with on like a much more personal level. These are all things that culminate in what is an experience that someone wants to have with us. And so when we think about that first time gift, or even something that I, I love to to think about, and it's something you know when I was consulting for nonprofits, it's something we did really well at Invisible Children. Was we would look at our not only our our peer to peer fundraisers, but we would look at all of the donors that come in through peer to peer fundraising, right? And like there's like a multiplier effect here. What are their personal journeys? How do we bring them in? more closely. And again, it's not going from donation ask to donation ask. It's we're actually looking at the long scale of what does different communications across multiple channels look like over the course of a year? And how do we actually differentiate our asks and what we're asking of our donors? Where and when are we asking them to volunteer? When are we valuing their time, their spheres of influence more than just the value of what's in their wallet? Well said, well said. It brings to mind a couple of things. I think, you know, one of the first challenges so many nonprofits face, and I had this this issue many times, was I think first just 
understanding the data that you have as far as like ways that your donors are engaging with you. I can't tell you how many organizations don't even have that clear picture. So there's Mm. silos and, you know, your peer-to-peer team may know that donor Rob always comes to the walk and raises $10,000 and has no idea that Rob also gives through a friend on their Facebook, your self fundraiser, or has no idea that Rob attends the gala and buys a table. So I think a a big issue is even just knowing the donor's full impact to your organization and not just in a monetary way, but like you said, how do they engage in all the different ways that they can is really, really key. And then when I think about an organization like Classy and why I was so drawn to come here is my interest in technology and what it's going to continue to do for this industry. It reminds me of like, I hear so much now, it's not e-commerce, it's just commerce. It's not a digital strategy, Mm -hmm. it's just your strategy. Mm -hmm. To me, it's the same thing as there, it's not online fundraising or digital fundraising. It's just fundraising because it's going to become so second nature of that's how most people are going to give. And mm. so to make that experience incredibly personalized, positive, enjoyable, inspiring, all those things. Um, so I really lo- love what you said. Yeah, that's really interesting. It, when I, I think about Brian, like a lot of our guests that we have on here, we talk about, you know, being a responsive nonprofit and it's... I think it it's very a uh, simple concept, but hard. Maybe maybe a little takes a little more diligence and discipline to do in our everyday and the organizations that we lead. But it's taking information like this, taking the data points, looking at the survey, and then saying, "Okay, that's fantastic. These are new learnings that I have. Now, how can we step back, take inventory, you know, as a leadership team about our organization, and what are what are some simple moves that we can begin to make based off of this data that's going to help us to be more responsive? And we know we can't go." Uh, you know, or be a fool's errand to try to go implement everything at one time and nothing happens. But what are the what are the two or three you know nuggets that we can take from a you know a data survey like this and then begin to responsibly look at our organization and then what are the changes that we can make? So I, I hope that's the uh, you know the path for many people that will be listening to this, Michelle. And I appreciate your. Uh, just your time and your experience and your expertise. And um, as we wrap up, I want to, can I ask the question, Brian, or do you want to go for it? <laughs> it's the question we, we've been doing this with a lot of our guests and I, I think it's really fascinating. Um, and it's fun to hear more of the heart uh, of the folks and the experts that we're bringing on. And so the question is, is what does generosity mean to you on a, on a personal level? Uh, you can answer that however you want to, but I'd love to just dig in on that just a little bit here before we wrap up. Yeah, what a great kind of final question. Um, I'm sure you, you've learned a lot from asking that question too, but generosity to me, I, I think is just this deep belief that it's your responsibility to lift someone up, make someone better, bring more more joy into their life in any way that you're able to, whether it's super small scale, complimenting someone, buying their cup of coffee, helping make an introduction on LinkedIn because you know they're in the market for a job or if it's something, you know, more significant, adopting a family over the holidays like I was able to do um with my kids, you know, purchasing gifts and knowing that I can help a family at one of our local local homeless shelters. So I think it's just this this deep responsibility in in knowing that you can do so much if if you just feel like it's it's something you're 
you're supposed to do. It's just an expectation that you have to help someone if you can. That's great. Beautifully said. Thanks, Michelle. I'm curious, where can people first and foremost learn more about Classy? And I'd love to also have you surface and we'll be sure to put it in the show notes. Where can folks actually download the Why America Gives 2022 report and dive into all of the findings that you all discovered this year? Yeah, thanks so much. And if any listener has not heard of Classy, we're an online fundraising platform with a mission to empower and mobilize the world for good. We were acquired by GoFundMe with this really cool idea of connecting the millions of folks giving to individuals on the GoFundMe platform with the over 6,000 nonprofits that Classy works with to create this network effect of introducing individuals to charities doing very similar work who care about the same things. But Classy works with thousands of nonprofits. We help them with everything from their main donation page on their website, recurring giving, crowdfunding, peer-to-peer events. The idea is to a full suite for everything you need for online fundraising. And go to classy.org. There are so many wonderful tools there. You can find the fourth annual Why America Gives report. You can see our blog different webinars, different coaching sessions, toolkits, checklists, everything you would want to know about not just online fundraising, but the world of fundraising. So please check us out on our website. Find me on LinkedIn. I love to connect with people, love to continue this dialogue and discussion, but it was so great meeting you guys. And thank you for having me. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. So again, check out the show notes for learning more about Classy, accessing all their great resources, reading the Why America Gives report. And we'll also include Michelle's LinkedIn in there as well. And I can actually say personally, from the start of my fundraising career back in uh, 2010, my first touchpoint with online digital fundraising was on the Classy platform. And Mm -hmm. it's been a lot of fun over the years to build a relationship with your team, but also have the opportunity to build relationships with all of the incredibly generous, passionate donors that I've had the privilege of being able to come alongside and and cheer on over the years. So Classy, as from my days as a fundraiser, Classy has always been a wonderful, wonderful partner in that regard. And I can also say that here at Virtuous, we're really, really proud to be partners with Classy and specifically to be integration partners. And a lot of what we talked about today from how do we generate more abundance to how do we close the gaps on the struggles that nonprofits face with donor retention and acquisition and how we harness our data to actually create personalized experiences, like truly, truly proud that for donors that give on the Classy platform to their peer-to-peer fundraisers, to folks that are engaging and attending events, you know, you can see all that data in Virtuous and you can actually create these automated communications and donor experiences to be able to harness that abundance over time to take donors into being more long-term loyal donors over time. So we're really proud that we get to come alongside Classy um, and do this day in and day out with nonprofits all around the world. It's an honor and it's a pleasure. And thanks for all the insights today, Michelle. Thank you guys. And that's a wrap, folks. Thanks for tuning in this week to the Responsive Nonprofit Podcast. We are so grateful for your time. We know how busy you are and consider it a privilege to journey alongside you as you work to make change in our world. We believe in you and would love to hear from you. Projects like this are only as good as the feedback we get, the guests who come on, 
and all the topics we get to discuss. So if you have an idea, if you know of an impactful guest that must come on the show, or if you wanna be a part of the responsive community, check us out over at virtuous.org backslash podcast and join the conversation. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite station. Your mission needs your collective talent and passion. So go forth and lead the charge forward and we'll be here cheering you on. We'll see you next week.